from Step and Connect, this is the Balance Matters Podcast, a neurophysical therapist journey to make sense of balance. I am Erica DeMarch, your host, a physical therapist deeply passionate about teaching and training balance. After many interesting clinical discussions with colleagues and mentors over the years, I thought, wow, I need to share their expertise with others. On this podcast, I interview leading minds in medicine, health, and wellness to give you up-to-date information on balance, new innovation, and translate the most current research into practical clinical examples that you could start implementing right away. This is the Balance Matters Podcast. Today, we have the honor to meet Brett Miller, the founder and owner of 110 Fitness in Rockland, Massachusetts, an all-inclusive wellness center as well as the largest wellness center in the world for individuals with Parkinson's disease. The mission of his wellness design is to set a new standard for the world in the fight back against Parkinson's disease through holistic and fitness-based approaches, as well as breaking down all barriers for adults and children limited by disease or disability by sharing his exceptional mental and physical training and conditioning experience. Brett is a licensed physical therapist with 27 years experience in all settings, including sports therapy, acute and intensive care, long-term care, and wound care. He has worked in the fitness industry for 29 years with extensive experience in kickboxing, boxing, spinning, rowing, and strength and conditioning. He has also worked as a strength and conditioning coach for world-class boxers and Olympic athletes, focusing on injury prevention and rehabilitation. Additionally, he is the co-owner of Boston Orthotics, for the past 20 years. Brett is a U.S. Army veteran and is proud to have served as a combat medic trainer for special operations. He recently published It's a Beautiful Day to Save Lives, a medic's journey to his destiny. Brett serves as the co-chair for the Massachusetts Parkinson's Registry, as well as the commissioner on the Massachusetts State Athletic Commission. He also serves as an ambassador for the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research and the Davis Finney Foundation. He is a research consultant for the Cleveland Clinic and for innovative U.S. research companies, as well as prominent Boston hospitals. Brett is proud to serve as the legacy guardian for the Till Valhalla Project and is an ambassador mentor for Hives for Heroes. So I am very excited about our podcast interview today. We have Brett Miller with us and um, Brett, thanks for joining us. And maybe if you want to just start by telling us that, you know, we just heard about your unique background and how your background, both, you know, um, as a physical therapist, as a U.S. Army veteran, as a boxer, like how did that kind of bring you to where you are today and what you developed um, in Massachusetts. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. And uh, so those are a lot of things. Um, You know, uh, I'll just um, introduce everybody to 110 Fitness. We are in Rockland, Massachusetts. We're the largest wellness center in the world for people with Parkinson's disease. But we also do a lot of uh, research on site. And also we treat 
people with all kinds of um, adaptive needs, whether it's youth, adults, um, people who are maybe suffering from other movement disorders or other uh, chronic diseases. And, you know, as a physical therapist, it's, it's probably pretty obvious that, you know, my, my profession leads me down that path of, you know, treating people with neurological diseases and, and being of service to them to help them more, you know, with more function in their community and to be more available to their families um, and to be part of, um, you know, sort of the organic family that has grown here at 110 Fitness. A lot of the characteristics that I utilize when I'm teaching or when I designed 110 Fitness came from my military background. I um, was a combat medic for eight years in the United States Army, but I spend a lot of time uh, here teaching people about personal growth and personal invocation and about being of service to others and also about being leaders, not only here once they're kind of seasoned at 110 Fitness, but also um, out in their communities and, um, you know, identifying other people that might be in the struggle or might be of need of certain things and then, you know, leading their communities as well. So <clears throat> the military has obviously given me a lot of those skills and a lot of um, things that I learned in the military, like I said, have spilled into the entire culture shift that we're creating here at 110 Fitness. So a question for you then have, you know, being a physical therapist myself, like, you know, you have a, a broad background of working in different clinics and, you know, in the hospitals, did you see yourself owning a wellness center and like being able to, to be a leader in the field and helping that? Or is that something that kind of grew organically with your experiences over time? Yeah, that's, people always ask me how I ended up here and it, it just, it really interesting. I think the universe looks out for you and it puts you right where you need to be. Um, and, you know, I was working in professional boxing, training professional fighters. I was also, um, I owned a business that was medical equipment. I used to design custom wheelchairs and make braces and make custom shoes. And when some of the research started exploding about the correlation between, you know, um, high intensity interval training, boxing, and the mitigation of Parkinson's symptoms, I was already working with some folks privately using like my boxing techniques minus the contact to help treat some of these folks that had neurological diseases. And so when this all came about for me about seven years ago, that's when um, I thought, you know what, this is like all of the things that I love tied together. And that's really what kind of drove me down the path. And then Leslie Stahl did her special on 60 Minutes and like four families called me the same day and was like, listen, we just saw this special on 60 Minutes. We think that you should start this program. And, you know, I started a, um, a very small program in a, a town, a couple of towns away from where we're at now. And I had two people the first day and in about a month, there were 40 people standing in front of me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there really was sort of a calling for me because there were also 40 spouses and caregivers in the background having sort of a mock, uh, you know, support group. And at that point, I knew that there was a need in the community. And so that's when I uh, decided to create what we've created here, which is, you know, 110 Fitness. Oh, I think that's amazing. And I think it's, it's good to hear, you know, starting with two and how that grew, you know, and then now you're offering a whole center that has different programs, not just the boxing. Um, so it was the boxing kind of the, the impetus that kind of brought you to then other programs and maybe explain mm -hmm. like, how did it go from just Parkinson's specialized then to 
offering it for other people that might need your services? Yeah. So boxing was the catalyst that sort of brought us to this new space that we're currently in. And we've been here six years um, and we're pretty much almost out of space. Um, You know, the boxing, like I said, you know, it kind of started, but, you know, I was looking at a lot of different evidence-based research and other programming that was beneficial to mitigating the symptoms of Parkinson's. And so we started building on that you know, like I said, with the support groups, we started offering support groups for families, but then also for people just with young onset or people with Parkinson's disease. Uh, and then it sort of kind of blew up. Then, you know, it was like we started offering pedaling for Parkinson's. You know, I do research for the Cleveland Clinic. So Jay Alberts, who everybody knows in this world, you know, as the, the guru of exercise and Parkinson's, you know, I adopted his program and um, started doing some research for them through pedaling for Parkinson's. And then we started offering all kinds of other things that we knew had some evidence of helping people with Parkinson's. And at this point, you know, I could go on and on about the list of programs, but, you know, Tai Chi, yoga, meditation, drumming. Uh, We have a choir. We actually perform concerts here at 110 Fitness, Um, you know, ballroom dancing, uh, you name it. I mean, we we host a, a, a just a, a huge conglomerate of programming, and then we also offer programming for the care partners because this is a 360 degree platform here, and so we are um, equally responsible, um, you know, to take care of our care partners, and we um, we take pride in that. The other thing is is that we have a couple niche things that we do here. I'm a veteran, so we offer programming for disabled veterans, um, and we also offer programming to um, young adults who have um, some form of adaptive need. Um, And, you know, I don't limit my programming just to Parkinson's disease because that's where the research lies. I do obviously allow people with CTE, MS, um, ALS, Huntington's disease. And if they thrive in our programming, then obviously I want them here. You know, if they're showing, you know, functional changes in the community or even just the social aspect of having other people to talk with and to be with who understand disease process. You know, that's really the, the nuts and bolts here is, is the, the people and, and what they make it. Um, and then also um, we're very fortunate. We have a pool next door. Um, I have um, copyrighted something called box H2O where I teach high intensity interval training, um, specifically boxing in the water. And uh, that has been four years with um, some incredible, um, remarkable data that has uh, helped folks with movement patterns in the, um, in the community, less falls in the community, you know, better mobility, better strength, those kinds of things. So that's sort of where it's going. And we're still developing more and more programming um, as well. Well, I love that, you know, you're, when you were talking, you, you said a lot, but the uh, more about like all these different programming, right? Because we all are individuals have different likes and, um, you know, maybe boxing isn't for everybody, but, you know, Tai Chi or maybe you want to be in the water. Like there's so to be able to have those options available to include anybody who wants to start exercising, um, I think is really important that isn't really offered everywhere sometimes or not being able to have that opportunity. Um, so I think that is a really, um, positive to be able to have that at your facility. Um, when you talk about programming a little bit, that research component, um, that was something that I found really interested, um, about your facility, how you connect that you do research, um, 
with some other um, facilities, but your programs are very research-based that it's not, um, you know, let's just throw this exercise um, program. So kind of where do you start when you're looking at your schedule or your calendar or starting with that program development, or maybe if there's a clinic who wants to be specialized in Parkinson's and doesn't know where to start, you know, where do I start to have the best programs available for my clients? You know, so maybe those two questions, where would you um, start if you wanted to have some programs and then to build on that and kind of how did that, how did you get into the research component part of it? Yeah, these are great questions. And um, I love them because I am really on, um, I'm really trying to um, emulate and sort of exemplify to the rest of the country and the world for that matter that the programming that we're doing for people with neurological diseases has to be done by professionals, has to be done by licensed professionals who have the credentialing and the experience and the knowledge to create ethical wellness centers. And, you know, the first thing you need to start with if you're going to do this is you need to be accountable and reliable and you need to be a professional who's licensed, who says that, you know, when these folks come through your doors, I can help you with these things. And it's done in a safe fashion and an ethical fashion. So one of the things I always say to people is you've got to get educated and you've got to understand what it's like. If you're going to teach boxing, you should know what it's like to put on gloves. You should know what it's like to get into a boxing ring. You should know what it's like to go through a very intense training boxing program, minus the contact. Um, And if you want to run a boxing class, um, if you want to add other things, then clearly you should have some experience or at least hire folks who have that experience so that really you are, you know, bringing to the table a group of professionals who can handle the different disciplines and the different things that we might see with neurological diseases. One of the things we have at 110 Fitness is I have a medical advisory board, which um, is comprised of people all over the country who specialize in different disciplines so that they're at pretty much a phone call away from me if I have questions. I mean, I'm on the board, but I may not have the answer for somebody. And so having other professionals um, online and accessible so that, you know, what do I do when COVID struck, right? We had a we have a world-renowned pulmonologist who runs the intensive care unit at Mass General Hospital, which is a center of excellence. He's on our board. Um, and so I had, you know, him to fall back on when COVID happened because clearly we were very concerned with the comorbidity of Parkinson's and other the thing, other things that we see with our folks. So really having a good team that's professional um, and that really can handle the, there's a lot, as you know, as a therapist yourself to understanding pharmaceuticals and Parkinson's symptoms and how that correlates to exercise and those kinds of things. So those are one of the, that's, you know, the, the big thing when it comes to research, when I designed 110 Fitness, again, we grew extremely quick. You know, it's it, it's very common for us to see over 100 people in three hours here on a day who have Parkinson's disease of all different magnitudes. It could be somebody who is in a wheelchair or uses an assistive device or somebody who climbs our ropes to the ceiling, who does our Spartans and things with us. And <clears throat> if you're in the research world, you want to go to a place that has a lot of people with varying conditions so that you can get great data, right? And so we're very fortunate. I do obviously advocate in the research world. Primarily, I do a lot of research with technology and for people all over the world who design technology. But 
a lot of people call us and say, hey, listen, I heard about your facility. I want to come watch a class and I want you to know that I'm doing um, a research program on X and wondering if maybe your folks might be involved. And one of the things here that I also preach to all our fighters that walk in the door is personal growth and recognizing the fact that the future is on your back. And so a lot of these people, pretty much I would say 99.9% of the people that come through my door want to do any research they can get involved in to help the next person. Because that's our mantra here is leaving nobody behind and being of service to others. And so we kind of are on the crest of the wave where, again, we're very grateful and we're very lucky because people call us all the time and say, hey, listen, I have this new device. Hey, listen, we have this new pharmaceutical. We need people to donate blood because we want to look at their immunology. You know, we have people that call us because, again, large numbers, better data. Um, So that's kind of how it all fell into place. So I'm going to go back on two things that you, you said. So first, going back to being more specialized in that training um, that you need. So one connection that Brett and I have is I went to Boston University, so I'm familiar with Massachusetts and Boston a little bit more. And my, you know, what got me into Parkinson's was Terry Ellis and learning from her. And that was my first introduction, actually, to seeing a group exercise class um, at the university that I got to to watch. And then I actually got to watch that same program that they were researching in the Netherlands. So it was the exact same program in Boston and Netherlands for people at Parkinson's. Um, so seeing that research a little bit. But if you can explain even for your the people who teach your classes, so something that I look at a little bit is, you know, understanding if somebody has a freezing episode or somebody has neurogenic, you know, um, orthostatic hypotension, like how do you yeah. how you're treating or not treating, I guess I'm I'm working with that client and being able to understand that um, before you get in a class of, um, because I'm not sure how big your classes are, or I know there's Mm -hmm. some research through um, Becky Farley's group of looking at stratifying to put them in the right class to make sure that um, you're getting that right challenge, you know, looking at Mm -hmm. the research for that. So if you can go into a little bit more of, you know, maybe what you did at your, um, center to make sure that all your teachers and instructors um, have that background or education or kind of giving the any advice to people who maybe have a center who want to make sure that their um, clinicians mm-hmm. are also educated and maybe start there. Yeah. And, and there's a process and I think everybody should f- follow suit with this. And I know a lot of the, you know, the Becca, Becky Filey's of the world who are running, you know, power moves and all the things, the wonderful things they're doing. And some of the other centers that people know are really credible across the country. You know, anybody that walks in our door goes through like an hour and a half thorough evaluation right out of the gate. No one can participate in our facility until that is done. It is done by me. There's a nine page form that they have to take home and fill out. And it also includes a lot of testing questionnaires, PDQs and things of that nature. Um, And then they come back and they meet with me. I go through their full, obviously, medical history because all of these things matter. Like you said, like if somebody has NOH or they're suffering from freezing gait, like we want to be prepared. And then again, you know, strategizing what class they're in, right? So I take all of my evaluation results. I also have technology here that a lot of people um, don't have. There's some technology I have that people in the world don't even have that I use to measure different things with people with Parkinson's. And I collect all that. And from that 
collection, I say, okay, this is what I think you should do to optimize your performance. And that's when the dovetailing of the programming happens. And so they might be in X class or they might be in Y class, depending on how their performance is on a valve. And then people can move around within those classes, obviously, because um, the one thing that I guarantee you when people come in here is that they will get better. Um, and I know that because I have the data that shows that they'll get better. And so people bounce around sometimes in the classes, not always, but there's room for that. And so strategizing the initial placement is very important because you want to make sure that that person has some room for growth or um, some room to maybe move up in like a more advanced class. So, you know, those are the things that we do. And then we reevaluate usually you know, again, with the, the slowness of progression and things pending um, each individual, you know, we look at reevaluating like every six months. So we meet with that person, we redo the testing, we look at their answers, we look at the, you know, the PDQ answers and things like that. And then we say, okay, what are we doing here? Do we need to look at nutrition? Are we looking at sleep issues? Are we looking at hydration issues? Um, so I have a, a recipe that I use. Um, and, you know, it, it carries like it's five core components. And so I look at all those things and figure out, okay, what do we need to do? Do we need to call the MDS? Do we need to look at things that they might need to tweak out with pharma or, you know, are we missing the boat with nutrition? Those kinds of things. Um, and that really dictates how it all happens in regards to our instructors. All our instructors are either therapists or they are credentialed in the classes that they teach. Okay. So if somebody like as a yoga instructor, they have like, a very high level of certification, several hundred hours of training to become that. And then they are then also furthering their education, their neurological yoga specif uh, certification. So you can actually further your training in yoga to do that. So all of the people that work here are credentialed professionals. Um, I won't have anybody that isn't. Um, because I'm, I feel so strongly about this because there's so much to Parkinson's that it really shouldn't be being taught by people who don't have, have that understanding. And then, um, and on that, Brett, I think there's so many opportunities yeah. now out there to get more specialized and to get that education out there. Like I know yeah. the American, um, you know, physical therapy, the, uh, no American Parkinson's association. They even have a class for, for trainers, for therapy. There's so many mm -hmm. out there, um, you know, Becky Farley. So I think there is, if people are truly interested in that, there is a lot of uh, education opportunities that are yeah. highly respected. Yeah. I agree with you. And I urge people to take advantage of all of those things and I'm doing it myself. I, um, you know, just, um, like I was telling you about my, uh, box H2O program, I'm going to be certifying folks in that in the spring, we're going to be launching that so people can fly here, um, and actually spend, um, a day in the pool with us, um, some classroom time and actually get certified to then bring that back to their facility or to their local Y that has a pool or something like that. And then I'm also, um, established a class is called how to open a successful ethical wellness center for people with neurological diseases. And so that also will be um, offered in the spring. That is a three day course, um, but you'll be able to participate in classes here at 110 fitness and be a part of what goes on here and learn pretty much how 110 fitness was developed and how to then recreate that um, in your hometowns um, so that we can start spreading the good news. <laughs> Well, keep us posted and, you know, I'll yeah. put on his website and different information so that you can, um, you know, keep in connection with him if you are interested in that. Cause that, 
Definitely, I think that wellness piece is just needed more and more, just how our healthcare system is going, at least in the United States. I know it's different in different countries, but, you know, I got to see a different model in the Netherlands when I was there and just different programs that are out there. Um, so a question uh, then to, to continue that is that, you know, I think the, and we've had this conversation of um, when you're with like a group, right, in a group setting. So having this wellness center, there's more to it than just the fitness. You know, you have that um, connections, that socialization. We've, um, the two of us have talked about loneliness, you know, especially after COVID, like how, how do you get people all with the same mission to be better? You know, they're all trying to improve themselves that walk through the door in one mm. aspect or another. What it maybe, um, and I'll share, you know, a little bit of the loneliness um, research that I looked at for Parkinson's um, when I developed my intergenerational program, um, but kind of share a little bit about how that makes it a little different of when you're doing these group setting exercises versus, you know, maybe giving a home exercise program as a physical therapist, you know, there's just a little different when you're in that, um, that type of setting. Yeah. I, you know, people that come through our doors obviously are very scared. They have a lot of anxiety. They've just been issued a diagnosis for, you know, a progressive neurological disease that there's no cure. And a lot of them are young. And, you know, our mission, like I said, is to leave no one behind and to bring back people, uh, to bring people back to life. That's our written mission. And it is the job of the folks that are here with Parkinson's disease who've been with us for a period of time to come to the doors and welcome those people into this giant circle of compassion and to then show them the the movement that we've created the mission that we've created the purpose of of bettering yourself and through all of that service you know there's um i call it an intangible recipe because it's something that you can't put your hands on but it's something that you see and feel um and it's it's this community this family that is created where people are doing things outside of 110 fitness together as families they're doing things with their grandkids that they normally wouldn't do. And so this whole evolving, um, forever changing uh, integration of, you know, like you and I have talked about, Erica, this intergenerational thing has happened here at 110 Fitness. And, you know, for us, it's our community events. You know, we do art workshops, we go golfing, we go rock climbing, we go to the movies every month, we go bowling. Um, we go axe throwing, um, every three months, we go to the orchestra in Christmas together with our families. We go deep sea fishing during the summer. Um, we're doing a huge Jenga adult Jenga, like life-size Jenga competition this week. So it's all these things that are open and, um, they're free to anybody that's in our community. And so it brings kids and then it brings the kids, kids, and it brings the grandchildren and it brings the families, people with Parkinson's. And things that they never would have done without having the camaraderie and the people that they've met here. And it, for them, it's also showing their kids, for some of these young onsets, that you can live a really beautiful life with Parkinson's disease, yeah. you know, if you show up and you do the work. Because I think, you know, the kids are, geez, my mom, what's going to happen to my mom? What's going to happen to my dad? Um, and so it really gives them a lot of confidence, understanding that, there's a whole hundred group of people here bowling together that are just living normal lives, you know? Um, so that's really, you know, what has happened here. Um, 
and I think it can be recreated anywhere. It's just a matter of, you know, of putting that together and having the right people in place. Um, right. You so. did something just that I think is just beautiful in our, just our profession and just what, you know, I think of myself as a PT and what like drives me to get, get forward or hopefully drives some of the listeners um, here is, you know, exercise is important, right? Fitness is important. But, you know, I talk to this to all my clients, like, I don't care if you can do 10 burpees or you can do, you know, you pass this like outcome test that I did. I care about that you have a better life, you know, so if you can go bowling with your family or like what, so to be able to, you know, maybe that person didn't have the endurance or couldn't walk or go on the, you know, on a boat or something like that, then to be able to do that, those activities, I think is what we want to share with Mm. our clients like we're doing this to help you do whatever you love to do with your families with your friends so i think that incorporating that all together as a group and you know helping bring someone up if they're a little nervous to go or something i think is just really cool that we're doing that there's so much value in camaraderie and accountability uh, to the group that comes here i could never measure it but i know that it's equally if not more important than the exercise piece for sure. Um, and like I said, you, you know, I just did um, a uh, questionnaire for our folks um, with the uh, PDSLQ, um, which looks at how your life has changed after you came to our facility. And it looks at like greater appreciation for life, changes in life philosophy, you know, uh, relationships, inner strength, healthier lifestyles, personal relationships, those kinds of things. And I, I haven't gathered all the data yet, but I would venture a guess that those things are drastically changed since people have been a part of something it doesn't have to be 110 fitness but something that there's a group of people who understand that when you walk through the door the ego's left behind and we're all in the same boat and we're all going to talk about you know some of the things that we're you know dealing with and then we're going to talk about how we can overcome those together um you know because i believe truly believe that if 110 Fitness wasn't here on the South Shore of Massachusetts, there'd probably be like 250 people sitting in their homes, isolated, you know, watching TV, thinking that there's no hope and that there's no help for them outside of just the disease process. Um, so, yeah. And I, I honestly, I really love that you incorporate these like activities that you do as, you know, together that it's, it's, or even a goal, you know, right? Like, what are you working towards for this fitness part? So you're exercising and putting all this work coming here to do this, but then what are you, what are you working towards? You know? So I think that's really neat to, to blend that in within your practice. And if that can be replicated across, that would be neat to have a little bit more. So I guess like we went over a lot of different things from like starting, you know, a, a center, being able to incorporate the right programs and, looking at new programs, because I know even for myself, as I develop programs, it takes a while to be considered evidence-based, right? They take, they take time. So kind of seeing, introducing new programs, piloting it, seeing what it is, being able to research that. Is there a way to connect um, clinicians to some of the research if they want, number one, to get their participants in research more? Um, or if they, I know for myself, for some of my pilots, you know, even when we started, um, with the balance matter system, you know, I reached out, like we did, um, research at Regis university, we needed participants, you know, so how do you, um, connect with, to see what research is kind of out there to help, you know, elevate the standard of care. Um, or if you have a client, which is Parkinson's that wants to be involved, what would be your advice 
um, for both the clinician and for the individual client? Yeah, um, for the clinician, you've you've got a network and you've got to talk to the people like yourself, you know, who are doing the actual research and, you know, getting on your computer um, also is a wonderful thing. And, and um, you know, tapping into all the sources like Parkinson's Foundation, APDA, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, Davis Finney, they're all have a separate sort of area on their website that talks about ongoing clinical trials, what's happening, and where people um, could be of service. So the clinicians could look into that and say, well, listen, I have a wellness center. Could some of my folks be of service? Um, Again, for me, a lot of people call me. Um, I'm also open to, if anyone ever wanted to reach out email-wise to share some of the published research that we've done here, um, but also um, any of the new research with technology. We're working with um, some different companies with some technology that hasn't made it to the United States yet. Um, it's all in the UK and in Europe, but um, you know they do need other people to use this with to collect data to see if they can get things to either to FDA or um, to some of the foundations for grant money. Um, so, you know, those are, you know, those are the big four is trying to tap into like some of the foundations and see what they need. Other than that, being sort of entrenched in the Parkinson's world, I think you'll probably hear of things as long as you stay involved and you're reading some of the, you know, latest and greatest that's going on in Parkinson's research through, you know, Cleveland Clinic or through Mass General in Boston, um, through Becky Farley, right? All these things and really tapping in and using the web to kind of find that, find those things. There's plenty out there, as you know, Erica. Yeah, um, and, and a, tip, a tip on that. Work. I was actually surprised. I didn't do it since maybe, maybe I started about five years ago. I used to never, when I would read an article, I would just read the article, right? But most articles in the in the top have like a point of contact. And I started, you know, emailing some of the researchers some questions I had, or, you know, how do I implement this product into, um, you know, for my clients? So, uh, I would say majority, not everyone responds. Sometimes that professor's not there anymore, so it's not the right email, depending if it's an older article. But if it's pretty new, they a lot of them do respond, and they actually get excited because it is something they're passionate about, um, and we'll talk to you. You know, and yeah. like I've talked to, I wanted to learn about gaze, to, you know, how gaze works with people with balance, and talked to a professor in Canada and learned from him. So you can reach out to them and learn a little bit more, too. Um, they're all very open, um, to talking to people that want to help. And, you know, as most of you know, out there, you know, the Fox foundation alone, um, with their PPMI study, um, the genetic testing, they need people who don't have Parkinson's as well to be included in that testing and some of their smell tests that they're now doing. All of that stuff is free. The consultations are free after the genetic data is collected. Uh, and they, they just, the more, the better, right? They probably have a collection of about 30,000 people right now, but we need a lot more than that to really drive home this whole genetic piece that we're kind of tracing and tracking. Um, so, I mean, that alone could involve you if you were a clinician, your family, and then anybody that you know with Parkinson's, because we need both op- options because we don't know why people with the genes are not getting Parkinson's, but then some people with the genes are getting Parkinson's. And so we need both populations to really figure some of that stuff out. So, And then if you could talk a little bit more about um, what you're doing with the registry. So like how many people, you know, that's a question I get a lot actually from doctors. Um, mm-hmm. When I um, reach out to doctors to tell them some of the things I'm doing or, you know, mm-hmm. 
having specialized programs for people. They asked me how many people have Parkinson's in our area. You know, um, can you kind of delve into that a little bit and um, that part of the research that is also important for us to understand? It's a huge process um, trying to launch a registry. So I'm the co-chair for the state of Massachusetts Parkinson's registry. Um, The only working registry right now in the United States is the state of California. It has a humongous budget as well because there's a lot of deduplication issues that they have with reporting. But if you want to get involved, um, one thing um, I would say is to reach out to me or to reach out uh, to Ted Thompson over at the Fox Foundation. The Fox Foundation is driving a lot of states right now to start to develop registries. But it takes a lot of work. Obviously, you need um, a group of folks who are dedicated to starting the registry. But you also need some sort of connection politically um, in order to talk to your legislators because you need money, right, in order to have a registry, in order to collect data. And one of the things that we're trying to do, which will make sense to all the researchers out there, is we're trying to make the data the same in every state so that we're all collecting the same numbers Um, Because the whole purpose of the registries countrywide would be to have a giant pool of data that's all the same that we could share. Because, you know, somebody might have a missing piece here and someone else might have a missing piece here and we put those together and and solve something. But uh, registry development is kind of on the forefront. There's a lot of talk about it. We're trying to get states to jump on board. Um, You know, and if you are interested in doing that, you know, you can reach out to um, like I said, Fox Foundation or your local APDA too, and talk to them about how you can kind of get a group of folks together to start to look at the process. A lot of times, because there's already registries in your state that might have to do with like cancer or ALS or different diseases, sometimes you can work right off of the software that's already developed, which saves a lot of money and a ton of time. Um, so there's a couple little intricacies about it, um, but it's certainly well worth talking to some folks at the state level and seeing if there's funding, if there's already some software in place, and who would be the appropriate people to talk to to try to get a registry off the ground. No, I think it's important. I'm on the medical advisory board for the Parkinson's Association of the Rockies, and it is also a mission for for them to improve that. So I know that they're working on it here in Colorado. So definitely uh, connect you know, what you're even associations, there's definitely different groups that are all trying to hopefully improve that. Um, Mm -hmm. One other, this is what we said before that we keep talking. And I feel like this has always happens to all the people I interview. (laughs) But another question on research, and, you know, I've only I've read, I read a lot of research, but I haven't been involved as much. And one thing that I came across that I started to kind of look a little bit more into, at least here at some of the universities um, here in Colorado that does research, the same people tend to volunteer for research, it seems to me, you know, um, which is great. But then are you having a diverse pool of people? You know, how do we get really, if we're doing a research, are we really researching you know, if we figure out that registry who has Parkinson's or who has something, like, how do we really get a diverse population um, for some people that might not be um, really in that research pool that we're looking at? Um, it's something that I'm interested in looking at a little bit more. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that topic of just diversity and making sure that it's inclusive to all people, not the same people that we're always researching. Yeah, you have a great point. And um, I will tell you one of the, I would say, number one topics that we talk about in the registry development 
is looking at the populations that we're missing, um, which is different ethnicities, different races, things of that nature, and making that a very, very important piece of collection for the mass registry. Um, so it's, it's on the, it's right on the top of the list because like you said, we're missing all of those people. Um, and you know, it's, it almost correlates socioeconomically as well. Um, we see some of that, um, especially in the city of Boston, some of the, you know, um, less affluent cities where people don't tend to go and address their healthcare. So all those people fall through the cracks, right? They don't have an ER visit where, they're showing up with their Parkinson's and getting docked by the registry, or they're not showing up at a movement disorders specialist office with tremor or bradykinesia or something like that. So that is a, um, it's definitely something where we're lacking, but I will say that a lot of the other foundations as well, like PF and APDA, they are doing a lot of granting to people who are willing to do some research or programming for people of different ethnicities um, and um, lower socioeconomic statuses to try to, I think, encourage those people to get involved and then to maybe help them um, get involved in, in data collection or research. No, I think it's important on looking at different diversity, but then also looking at different even abilities, right? So like some of my clients, like a lot of the research is for somebody a little bit sometimes higher functioning. It's easier to get them into the research versus somebody, you know, what is a seated program? Like how many researches on seated programs? I haven't read that many, you know, so we really look at it for all different levels. Um, So I think, you know, whoever's listening, uh, start some new research (laughs) for different. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah, especially the seated. So I, um, I started a drumming class here um, that I choreograph and all that, but one of the groups that we do, it's completely in sitting. Um, I use the ripsticks from pound. If you're familiar with pound, which is like a big drumming corporation. I went to pound and I spoke to their owner and got permission to create a, a seated drumming class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't have any data collection or any research on that, but we have a drumming program here that we do every single week that's done completely in sitting for people of all levels of, of neurological diseases. Yeah. Um, and it's awesome. No, I, I definitely think uh, if we can get that higher intensity of and something fun at all different levels is you know, and just knowing it's out there so that you're not, someone is not showing up just because of that. So, um, no, I love it. I'm going to have to look into your um, drumming because you know how I worked with the music therapist. So I love yeah. the music and the rhythmic. It's one, of our, it's one of our most, I would say, most popular classes. Um, yeah. And again, you know, because we do concerts, we integrate our drumming into our concerts. So we did a Christmas concert um, in the heart of COVID. We had 360 people on Zoom and we had about 65 people in-house masked and we performed and choreographed a full Christmas concert with drumming. Oh, cool. Uh, seated and standing. Yeah. yeah. It's on YouTube. It's on our YouTube channel, actually, if you ever want to watch the concert okay, on 110 cool. Fitness. Yeah, it's, I'm going to definitely put a bunch of, you know, when I post this, um, I'll put some resources of how you can get involved in research. You can see um, some of his, um, Brett's, their classes at 110 Fitness and their, um, so you can kind of get an idea of what he's doing and what he's already developed. Um, and I think the course that you're going to be offering, if, you know, where to get started, you know, myself as a, a company, it's really hard to get started. So when you learn from somebody who's did it already and what works and doesn't work, it, it is nice mm-hmm. because 
um, a lot goes into that program development. You know, I, I wish it was so easy just to say this program is great and just start, you know, you have to work out the kinks and all of that kind of stuff to make sure it really runs well. Um, yeah. And even from a business perspective, you know, I, I didn't go to school for business. I went to school for physical therapy. And so like understanding LLCs or different corporations, how do you get incorporated? You know, what about insurance? Like uh, there's a lot of other things. And so we talk about that. Um, I say I talk about that in my course that I'll be offering just to give people a basic understanding of business so that you can say, okay, this is how I need to set it up. And then I can do what I do. Um, but, you know, having that basic knowledge is, is critical. Um, so, and I like that, you know, how we kind of started our conversation is like what your experiences are. We all, um, bring to the table our different experiences and knowing where you're, you want to be, right? So like, do you want to be in a hospital setting? Do you want to start programs even in the hospital? Mm -hmm. Do you want to, um, have your own wellness center? Like, what is your goal, um, as a clinician, um, you know, to serve and to use your expertise mm -hmm. in clinic? You know, I was a dancer and I incorporate a lot of dancing still into my um, sessions just because that's in me, you know, um, but, you know, we all bring something unique um, to our clients um, that I think um, they can relate to and we can bring. So kind of tap into that and kind of see what what you can bring into. And then hopefully people like Brett and other people can help you kind of find that passion. So you keep helping others. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's awesome. And, you know, it's 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 the people that listen to your podcast and, and people like you and myself who really need to drive this whole idea of research-based and ethical, because there's a lot of programming that's going on out there that um, needs corrected and um, needs our help. And, um, you know, we need to be of all these service to all these people who are in the crook, you know, the nooks and crannies of the United States that don't have access to these things. Um, and you know, a couple of things. One is I developed, uh, the first ever Parkinson's wellness app during COVID It's called 110 fitness. It has 19 categories, um, that has to do with Parkinson's and every single category is taught Parkinson's specific from vocal work, um, to education, to boxing, to cycling, to rowing, to power moves. Um, so that was one way that we reached out to everybody during COVID. We offered it free for an entire year um during covid and we were tapping into people all over the world in like 14 different countries um so that's one way the other thing that we're doing is we're in talks with some folks who are educated like ourselves who are looking to open up a uh, very similar model like 110 fitness in new york city um and we're also working with some folks in san antonio as well um a group of movement disorder specialist physicians who also are trying to create programming like we've designed. So we're trying to branch out um, now that we have our roots established here and hopefully start spreading um, these, these programs for, for more and more people across the country. I love it. Well, do you have any, one thing we didn't talk about because you do so much um, is also the book that you wrote. Um, it's a beautiful um, day to save lives, a medic's journey to his destiny. Um is there any leaving points of even how like that in your book, you guys are going to have to read the, the book to kind of look at it a little bit more, but what is even just like saving lives, you're saving lives by people who are walking into your, you know, center and trying to reach, you know, even saying to go to New York, you're reaching even more people for these specialized programs. Is there anything even in your, your book and your own, you know, background, mental health and things that you think that can, you know, help people to that next level or like. 
Yeah. Um, so It's a Beautiful Day to Save Lives is a memoir of my life from when I was six right up until the development of 110 Fitness. So the development of 110 Fitness actually is spoken about in my book. Um, one of the things that is uh, sort of a continuous happening in my life from when I was six is that I was presented with situations throughout my life where I was always having to save people's lives, literally save people's lives. And <clears throat> it um, kind of rolled into me becoming a combat medic in the army, obviously helping people, caring for people, saving lives, obviously in the, in the battles that, um, you know, were, were brought to me. I served several missions that were, not the nicest missions that you'd want to do, but in any event, the, the theme was always rescuing people. Um, and what ended up happening for me is the stress of all that through my life actually put me in a position where I had to save my own life. And uh, it led me down a very dark road of addiction and issues that I had to contend with in my life after getting out of the military and suffering from some PTSD and things of that nature. Um, and the then revolving door, luckily for me, um, was to be able to get on top of that. And for the rest of my life, that gift that was given to me um, w has turned into being of service to others. That's what I need to do for the rest of my life because of what happened to me. And so my book talks about that whole process of coming out of that and then um, figuring out you know, which way, what direction, what do I need to do? But it all came down to being of service to others and what that did for me and what that continues to do for me all the time. I speak publicly a lot um, about service to others and where that can bring people um, and how the universe kind of looks out for you. Um, and so I don't want to ruin any surprises. Um, I love my book, obviously, because I wrote it. But um, if you ever want to read it, you can get it on Amazon or any of those things. It's in the bookstores and things of that nature. Um, I'll also tell you that um, just in the process of almost releasing a, another book that I'm co-authoring, I just wrote the foreword for this book as well. It's called Greatest Burden, Greatest Blessing. And it is a collection of the silver linings behind care partnering and caregiving for people of all different diseases. Wow. So uh Rashida Ali, who is one of Muhammad Ali's daughters, is a, a colleague and friend of mine. She and I both wrote separate forwards for this book. Um, and we're hoping to do a book launch in May. Um, and it's all about care partnering and caregiving and all the beautiful things that come out of the courage of, of being one of those people. So, oh, please definitely we'll share. Or maybe we can have a, a part two. But I think, um, you know, I, I think just as even as a physical therapist, right, we see the struggles of what so many of us and even just, you know, our own personal lives have dealt with a lot of struggles in life and things that we um, have no choice that just comes onto our lap. Right. But, and we see, I tell people, I see you at your worst sometimes, you know, like you're, mm -hmm. unfortunately, I don't. So how we, how you can make that and empathize and be able to help that person know, even though it might be a dark day, how do you, I think that mental health, we, uh, we can't just ignore. Um, I know that for my own personal life and for others, like how do we bring that, to our clients to say, we're here to help you, you know, see that light or, you know, see what is a beautiful day um, to that person. So um, thanks for sharing. And I definitely, yeah. think, uh, there's a lot we went over today. <laughs> so <laughs> I think um, I will definitely be sharing anything. Uh, I don't know if you have any just closing remarks of, you know, just any advice to anybody out there or things that you just feel like that 
um, you want to close um, the interview today. And then, like I said, I will share a lot of the stuff that we talked about so that people can easily access um, some of the um, things to get involved and things like that. Yeah. Whenever I do podcasts, my final words always to everybody is that you're not alone. And I always remind that because um, that saved my life. Somebody told me, you know what, you don't have to do this alone. And uh, it completely changed my life. And I will say that to everybody out there with Parkinson's disease or any neurological disease for that matter, that there are resources and there are people like Erica and people listening to this podcast who want to be of service to you and that can help you and that there's hope. Um, and you know, when it comes, you know, I do so much with some of the foundations when it comes to Parkinson's disease, this is one of the best times to have this disease. Cause we are so close right now, um, from a research perspective at being so close to getting, um, some form of a cure that it's just a wonderful time to be involved and to be a part of. And um, there's some really beautiful things coming for you in the future. Um, so, you know, buckle up your seatbelt, do the work and uh, show up and uh, be accountable. And, uh, you, you know, one of the things, Eric, you're talking about, you know, as therapists is making sure that you're going home with your cup half full so that you can be available to your family. And also remembering that, you know, at your breaking point, that's when you're the most alive and that's when things happen. So pay attention, be self-aware and be kind. Uh, such important uh, advice for everyone. So you're not alone. I like that. We'll end with that. But thank you, Brett, so much for joining us today. That was fantastic. Thank you. Such an honor. Thank you. If you liked this episode, I hope you would consider subscribing to the Balance Matters podcast on our website and iTunes. Share it with your friends, colleagues, and show some love on social media. For a new podcasts like mine, those reviews are everything. To stay connected with us, follow Step and Connect on social media and visit our website, stepandconnect.com, to learn more about our educational courses, resources, and products. I hope you learned something today and will join me on this journey to make sense of balance.